and welcome to Rainy Day Diaries, an imperfect podcast that will dive headfirst into how you can thrive in your creative life and business, even if you struggle with mental wellness. I am your host, Jennifer Lynn, and as a longtime struggler of anxiety and depression myself, I hope this podcast will help you realize that you could still get stuff done when you deal with all these crazy things on a daily basis, that you're not alone, and that falling down does not mean you won't get back up again. I thank you so much for listening, and as always, if you have any suggestions or questions or topics you'd love to hear about, please email me at jenniferlynn at gmail.com. Thanks. Enjoy the show. So today on Rainy Day Diaries, I'm interviewing Ambivalently Yours, and she's an artist known for her very pink, emotionally stimulating artwork. And for the last five years, she's been exploring her ambivalence and feminist questions by posting pink drawings on her Tumblr blog. But then since she's went viral, and her work has been turned into products and videos and installations and even a podcast called Rebelliously Tiny. And one of the coolest parts of her artwork is that she challenges social norms, and by sharing various political and feminist beliefs, She's connecting to such an abundance of people. And I know I kind of introduced you already, but do you want to introduce yourself and then talk about what you wanted to be when you were younger and how you got to be doing what you do now? Um, yeah, I mean, you kind of summed it up pretty nicely in, your, in the bio that you wrote. Um, <laughs> yeah, so basically I'm an artist and I've been an artist, I, I guess, I've been calling myself an artist for the last few years, but I maybe have been an artist my whole life. And um, and yeah, and I just do all kinds of work, mostly like centered around illustration, but I do also, like you said, like installations and I have a podcast and I do workshops too. And um, And yeah, and what I wanted to be when I grew up, I don't know, it changed a lot. Um, I guess I didn't know that what I'm doing now could be a job when I grew up, which what I do now is just like a million different things that weave together make a job. Um, but I've always really liked drawing and drawing was sort of the one constant throughout my life. And I remember in kindergarten getting in trouble cause I spent too much time like in the arts and crafts corner instead of like, interacting with other kids more (laughs) so yeah I totally feel you I'd rather be in the arts and crafts corner now than interact with lots of people yeah me too (laughs) okay so then if art has always been like weaved into your everyday life which totally has been weaved into mine as well like since I was young then how what were you doing that kind of led to like the specific artwork you're making now and um yeah that's a good question (laughs) Yeah, so I mean, getting to the point I am now was sort of a long journey. So I did my undergraduate degree in studio art, and I tried all kinds of different mediums. And and it's funny, like most of the time I spent in school, I didn't do that much drawing because drawing always felt like not like real art or not like grown up art. So I tried like painting and textiles and sculpture, and then. When I finished school, my first job out of school was in the fashion industry. I was designing prints and patterns for a fashion company. And and then from that, like I just worked for different companies doing that kind of work, um, diff- different fashion companies doing that kind of work. And also I worked kind of 
in marketing, doing ad campaigns and stuff. And that's, and part of it was really fun because it was creative, but then it reached a point where I realized that I was spending a lot of energy giving my ideas away to other people. (laughs) I totally understand. (laughs) For companies who's like, you know, they were just, they, their bottom line is to make money. I get it. But like, maybe our values didn't so much align. And, you know, the fashion industry, it's not a secret. It's a pretty misogynistic industry. And I had some pretty horrible bosses and I've, and that horrible bosses in the sense that they really tried to breed this competitive atmosphere between like the staff, which was mainly women. And so I started becoming more and more interested in feminism because of that and decided a few years um, outside, after working for a few years, decided to go back to school and I went to grad school to study art again, but to focus on feminist art. (laughs) Yeah. And, and it was, I was really excited and it was like a really, I remember when I got into school, I was so excited. I got there. I was like ready to like jump in and make feminist art. And I was so excited. And quickly I realized that like going, like trying to make feminist work when you've been working in fashion and when your aesthetic is very feminine and pink, um, can lead to a lot of pushback from certain people. Um, a lot of, maybe my professors didn't really quite understand what I was trying to do, which like for sure there, I wasn't, I had a lot to learn. Um, because it's like a fine line between being critical of what happens in the mainstream and like reinscribing it. So sort of like reinforcing its idea by using like pink and all that stuff. And so it it became like a really complicated place to sort of figure out like, am I just like in a, in a very simplistic way, like, do I just like pink because I've been conditioned to, or do I like pink because I like pink and does it, or can it be both? And so that's where I kind of created ambivalently yours because I decided to just embrace the fact that I could be both. It could be both things at the same time. Because ambivalence means like having two conflicting emotions at the same time. So I really like that idea and decided to invest in it. And so my work since then has been always kind of centered around that idea of being two conflicting things and to try to figure out like what that means. I love that. (laughs) And you already answered another question that I had, which I think I actually asked you a while ago on Instagram anyway, which was, has it always been pink? But I totally feel you like the, I think I steered clear of pink for like decades because I'm like, no, this is like a girl color, like only for girl, like little girls. And then I transitioned to like, okay, I like neon pink. And then I'm like, okay, no, I like all pink. That's okay. Like, it's okay that I like pink. And then I'm a girl. Like, um, but I'm like, I mean, sorry, go ahead. Um, I think there's a lot of shame associated to liking feminine things. Um, And I think part of that is like internalized misogyny. You know, we don't want to be associated with these like feminine things because they're associated with weakness. And so to turn that around and to, to just sort of decide that there can be a lot of power, there could be a lot of power in like soft, tender, feminine things I think is 
it's a complicated thing to wrap your head around, but it can be a really interesting place to, to make work from. No, totally. So when you were drawing all these years, was it always kind of in the style or did this style kind of emerge during all this like complicated thinking in grad school? Um, it, like the style definitely, I've always really been interested in drawing sort of like figurative and like drawing girls and, but I really kind of like perfected my language, my visual language more in grad school and in sort of like pushing the drawings to be a little bit like weirder, a little bit more kind of not like so representative and playing with color and, and yeah, so I kind of like developed it over time and I, I think it keeps kind of evolving, but I think at the same time I've sort of established my, my like pen stroke, my visual language that I hope is sort of recognizable in all of my work. Oh, it definitely is. <laughs> and my artwork is like so cutesy and smiley and yours is so fascinating because my brain doesn't even know how to draw like that. <laughs> it's so interesting. Um, but at the same time, so it's like edgier, but it's also very pink. So it's like your brain doesn't always know like how to process it right away. I don't know. I think it's interesting. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I mean, You're that's kind of what I want. I want it to be sort of like at first glance, you'll be like, oh, there's so much pink. This is so girly. That's probably drawn by like a 15 year old girl. But then by like spending a bit more time with it, you're like, oh, wait a minute. There's some like weird things happening here. And so, absolutely. <laughs> Do you ever get sick of pink? No. <laughs> That's awesome to know. <laughs> I just, I sometimes tell myself like I should try working with different colors and then I try different things, especially when I'm designing like my merch and stuff and I get it back and I'm like, oh, this looks wrong. <laughs> like it looks like not me. I love that because even like you do these installations and it's so pink. It's like pink walls with pink art and then pink, like other visual things. I'm like, but it works. Like it just, it looks fascinating because it's like so much of one color but I don't know it's interesting yeah I mean you know there's such a thing as like drunk tank pink like it's apparently like it's sometimes in prisons they'll paint the wall pink to sort of like subdue people that are being aggressive I mean really? I don't know yeah I mean I've read that online because I haven't really done deep research into it but you know, there's this idea that pink can be very calming. And when I create my installations, I want to make these spaces that like you walk in and you feel like you're walking inside a Tumblr page and to just kind of give you like all these, to make you, to I guess my goal is to kind of encourage people to in maybe in that space for a second, for a moment, like feel a little more vulnerable and feel their sort of inner teenage feelings. So that's why I really try to make it like really pink and overwhelming. So you feel like you're entering like a different world. Well, I like it. You do a good job. Thanks. <laughs> um, so then do you still post uh, consistently on Tumblr? I haven't been on Tumblr in a long time. So yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, I think a lot of the people that, you know, used to be on Tumblr have migrated to Instagram. I still post all of my drawings on Tumblr, but I would say that the interaction, the actual interactions I have with people seem to be happening more on Instagram now. And, you know, it's just, 
it's social media, right? It always shifts and evolves really fast. So absolutely. Um, so I'm kind of shifting. And then the way I, I, I work kind of like changes with that too. Cause I used to, you know, a lot of my drawings used to be like created in response to messages that people would write me on Tumblr. And then I would respond with a drawing and it's not as easy to do that on Instagram. Like, cause you can't just like, I mean, you could take screenshots and stuff, but it's just like, it's less conducive. And Instagram I find is a, it's a quicker social media app. Like you don't spend as much time. Like I remember spending hours like on Tumblr reading stuff and, you know, and Instagram is a bit quicker. So it's a matter of like changing a little bit how I work. And that was why also I wanted to do a podcast sort of in response to that, to find another medium. I mean, I'm sure you know where you can have a bit more long form content and, you know, cause some ideas really um, need a little bit more time to flesh out than just like a quick Instagram post, I think. No, I agree. Um, so then are the questions, so your podcast basically is you invite another guest and you kind of break down one particular question at a time. So then are those questions coming from Instagram or are they still ones from Tumblr that you still want to like, uh, continue discussing? Yeah, well, so far they're, they're messages from Tumblr because I have like thousands that are still unanswered. And so I've been going, I've like kept them all and go through them and, you know, have read through them many times and then try to find the ones that I think that my guests could maybe relate to. And usually like I'll, I'll send it to my guests in advance to make sure that they can sort of relate to it. And then we try to answer it together. And the point too, is that like, a lot of times I'm getting these questions and I can't relate to them because of like, my life is just not like that. And, you know, there are a lot of life experiences that I'll never have, you know, I'm, I'm white, um, I'm able-bodied, I'm cisgendered. So in a lot of ways, like I can only, I can't really fully empathize with everyone's experience because of the privileges I have. So in that sense, the, the, the podcast allows me to reach out to people with different experiences and we can kind of have a conversation, each bring in like what we um, can empathize with and, you know, see how that works together or doesn't. And it's just a really nice way to just have conversations because so much online is about, I find a lot online, it's like we're talking about each other and not enough like to each other. So with the podcast, I wanted to make more platforms to be able to talk to each other. I like your podcast because it's like such, it's again, just like your artwork, it's like very easy listening, but the topics are not easy listening. So that again, it's like hard and easy at the same time. And I used to um, volunteer at an aquarium and I would sit and I would with all these pink test tubes, which I think is perfect for your <laughs> artwork. And I would sit, put mixing all these chemicals and I would listen to it. And I would have all these conflicting emotions where I'm like mixing water with chemicals and everything's turning pink, just like your podcast. And I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> I love that. That's so perfect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause like for me, one of the reasons I started listening to podcasts is that, you know, when I'm doing that kind of busy work that that's hard to do, if maybe you're feeling anxious cause your mind is watering too much, like putting a podcast on helps me like focus and calm down. And I, I like podcasts that are a little bit more like 
kind of calm and soothing. And so that's kind of what I wanted to do. I wanted the podcast to also be sort of like calm and soothing, even though we are talking about some really tough subjects, but without making it like too like intense with the sound as well. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So then you mentioned the word anxious. So then um, do you struggle with anxiety or have you, have you always, like, do you want to talk about um, like what your teen years were like and if you struggled with it back then or if that manifested more as you got older? Yeah, I think as a teen, I struggled maybe a bit more with depression, um, like a bit more just like loneliness and spending a lot of time in my room. Um, so, and I mean, yeah, so that was sort of more my teen and just feeling like where I went to high school, like I didn't have any friends who were into art and I was always like, and so it was really hard for me to take any sort of art thing seriously, but I always did it as a way to kind of deal with my depression or to like channel my depression into something. Um, Anxiety. And right now I would say I struggle a lot more with anxiety and that's maybe more because I'm an adult and adult life is really scary and hard. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard. And you know, I'm also self-employed. So I, you know, it's a lot of pressure to make a living and you, you know, it's very uncertain and, and it's just funny anxiety. Like the things that actually make me anxious tend not to be the things that I like focus on in my anxiety. Like I'll become anxious about something really trivial, but like if that's just like the manifestation of me being actually stressed about a bigger thing that I don't even want to deal with. So I like, channel it into like a small thing that I'm like oh I'm really afraid like like I'm really bad at like worrying about whether I lock the door or not when I let leave the house like those little things like leaving the house making sure I lock the door turn the oven off like those little things become like very stressful to me so my phone is like full of photos of me like testing the door and seeing it's locked so that when I go somewhere else I can like if I'm not sure I can look at the photo and be like look you have proof that you locked the door that's so interesting (laughs) huh I never even thought about that I guess because I wish I could take pictures of what was making me anxious I think that would make me less anxious but I don't think I can because (laughs) <laughs> yeah it doesn't always work like these are just like little strategies for the little things I wish they're like actually the concrete ways to like ease anxiety but again a lot of it is like learning to live with that uncertainty like I think trying so too much to solve it just feeds into it a little bit more mm-hmm. and it's so hard like people are like, just let go and don't think about it. I'm like, that's not real life. Like, (laughs) who are you? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a lot harder than that. I I also think like being more active and I don't mean active, like working out to lose weight or something like that, but like just like going for a walk or like doing an activity that requires a little bit more like movement sometimes can help, but Mm -hmm. You know, it is really hard. Um, I don't know if you have like strategies that you can tell me about. Let's see. Um, 
it's so funny because I had an episode about self-care and these are all kind of the things that I did like when I was anxious like naps were really helpful when I was like that kind of anxious like that you can't function like when you get to that really bad place where the thoughts are like circulating um yes which usually well now I have a baby so I can't do naps anymore which is terrible (laughs) (laughs) um also like when I got to that deep place again which I can't do because I have a baby now but for some reason, unless I left my house in the morning, I would get to a really anxious place and I knew I needed to leave to feel better, but I wouldn't leave. Like it was like a weird like psych out. Mm-hmm. So before I had a baby, I would make sure I left like when my husband left for work, like at nine o'clock, just to make sure I left the house. Cause I knew by like three to four o'clock, that's like the anxious hour. Um, I would go nuts. <laughs> yeah. And even just like the walk from the car inside the cafe or like you might see a bird or like you might see like a cool flower that you want to pet. I pet flowers. I don't know about you. Petting flowers <laughs> is good. Like <laughs> Just completely like, I don't know, getting out and that kind of stuff was really helpful, which is harder <laughs> if you decide to have a child in the future. Drink all the coffee and leave the house now. Like, <laughs> because it's way harder but I literally started my business because I was um or started drawing like evolved into a business but like because I was so depressed I had to like quit my jobs like I like I had like a complete breakdown at one of them and I hid under my desk and they're like you have to come out and they like booked a doctor appointment for me and I quit one job the next day um and it's funny because when I got that job it was at a horrible call center and He's like, I don't know if you have the chops to be here. You have to be really aggressive and like make people answer these questions you're asking them. And then when I quit, he didn't even want me to stay two weeks. He's like, all the customers are complaining because you're so mean. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, I went from being too soft to too mean. So I'm like, forget that job. And then I ended up, depression was so bad that I started drawing like something that I needed to hear because I was so low and that's when Instagram came out and it wasn't even like a business app back then. It was just like a post things with fun filters app. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I just posted stuff on there and eventually people were like, I like this. This is awesome. I want to buy this. And I'm like, Oh, this is a thing. And there's something magical and horrible about like something that helped you when it turns into a business, because now it's like harder to go backwards, like to mm-hmm. use it as like that self care thing. when now it's like, you rely on an income for it. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. I mean, because you get into your head, like it becomes like, well, will people like this? Like, is this relatable? And and then when you post it and like some things that you post get more likes than another thing, and then that, that has a weird effect on like what you think of your own work. And Absolutely. Which like with the algorithm on Instagram doesn't really necessarily reflect if it's like, good or not and not that like how many likes you get really means anything but it psychs you out though yeah it's like totally a mental thing you're like I thought this was an amazing art piece of art like that was going to help all these people why did no (laughs) one look at it or double tap this like yeah I don't know it's kind of obnoxious like (laughs) yeah I mean it's it's so tough it's so tough to make a living as a creative person and yeah, it does. It gives me a lot of anxiety, <laughs> but so I love it. You know, I love it too. I mean, I love, you know, there's, 
I'm never happier than when like I'm in a perfect mood for drawing, which is not every mood like that. For me, it's like if I'm just like very calm and a little bit sad, but not for a real reason. And and I can just like draw for hours and everything I'm drawing is coming out really nice. So those moments are great. But then you have other moments where I'm like, I really want to draw. And then everything I draw comes out really not nice. And it's just like, it feels like I just wasted an entire day, like making ugly stuff. And that's really frustrating, even though like it doesn't matter and you need the balance of both of those days to work through ideas. But I'm nodding profusely. I know no one, I know no one in the audio can see that, but I totally understand. And I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I do think both are needed, but it's hard not to judge when things aren't like, you're not drawing what you think like should be coming out of you. I don't know. So then when you first started posting on Tumblr, before it like kind of went viral, were you planning on making this a business or was it just kind of like a self-expression thing or before people had like tons of questions at you, was it just kind of things that were popping around in your head? Yeah, I mean, so I started my Tumblr sort of halfway through grad school and I was sort of struggling and people weren't really getting what I was doing and I was trying all sorts of different mediums and and in the meantime, I was just making these drawings, which I didn't even think were part of my grad school work. It was just like my way of dealing with things. And so I started posting them on Tumblr and yeah, there was never like a goal. I never thought people would really care. I never thought it would become a business. I never, ever, ever thought it would go viral. Like there's nowhere in my head that I thought that would happen. And, and even at school, like, it was like a couple of weeks before I had to install my grad school final exhibition where I realized like, oh, you have like hundreds of drawings that relate to everything you're doing. Maybe they belong in your piece because I was doing this installation and I had like a video and all these other things that were like way overthought. And then at the last one, I just put all these drawings up and all the faculty were like, yes, this is it. This is what we wanted this whole time. And it's just funny because it was that thing that I never thought was important ended up being like the most important part of my work, I guess. I love that. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so then I know you mentioned loneliness and depression as a teen, but were there any like specific things you struggled with or, um, I definitely relate to the loneliness part. I feel like I was a little weirder and sh sh I don't know, <laughs> but that was awkward. So you can just answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I was also like, you know, I was the artsy girl in a school where there wasn't a lot of artsy girls, you know? And so I was definitely a bit weirder. I wasn't like the girl necessarily that like, the boys liked I and when you're a teen like that that stuff is like it's hard when you don't really see yourself in your like I had friends it, I, I'm not gonna say that I didn't have friends I had friends but like in retrospect I I realized that like you know there was a lot of parts of myself that I kind of held back because my friends wouldn't really get it and I'm the kind of person that I tend to adapt to whatever situation I'm in 
like out of survival, I'll try to like, I'll, I'll be kind of really shy at first and try to see like how people are acting and try to like fit into it instead of being like entering a room and be like, this is who I am. Like, take me or leave me. <laughs> and I think that's kind of a fault in a way to be a bit too adaptable because I kind of lose myself in that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's hard to say like what caused the depression as a teen. I think there wasn't like, you know, of course there was like body image and isolation and, you know, I wish like the internet had been more accessible when I was younger because I feel like I would have been able to find like my people more but at the same time like maybe it would have been too overwhelming too I think it's like a lot to deal with for teens now to have like all this information bombarded at them when they're still processing like their hormones and growing up and like it's a lot it's a lot to deal with as an adult so I can't even imagine as a teen I can't either I like worry about I can't like, especially with all the bullying and stuff, because it's like maximized online. And it's so easy to be anonymous and mean and mm-hmm. have strangers tell you things you don't like about, like that they don't like about you, and you might not like for those things about you already. So I can't imagine. Like, yeah. it sounds terrible. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> magical too, because I grew up in the '90s, or like, well, I was born in the '80s, but. And so the internet did come out, like we got a computer with like AOL in 96. Yeah. <laughs> and there were creepy things back there, but it wasn't, there wasn't like social media or anything necessarily. So it was like, steer clear of the creepy, but I did find people that I'm actually still friends with now, like decades later. Um, mm-hmm. But without all the pounding of like, this is who you should be. And this is how perfect your life could be. And look at all these photos and look how, I don't know. I'm sure it's very overstimulating for teenagers now. Yeah. um, Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it is. But at the same time, like, I talk to teens now and, like, their understanding of, like, intersectional feminism just blows me away. And it's like, I didn't know any of this stuff when I was your age. So there are good and bad points to it all, I guess. That is true. I do think children are growing up faster now, which there's pros and cons. Like, I feel like a lot of teenagers are, like you said, like so much smarter than I am now. And <laughs> I feel like they have their lives, like their, their personalities and their lives figured out when they're young, when I'm still trying to figure out mine, mm-hmm. <laughs> when I'm old. <laughs> yeah. So there is definitely pros and cons. Mm-hmm, for sure. So then uh, do you want to talk about whether it could be when you're younger or older, a time when you fell and got back up again? Um, time. I feel like there's a lot of times. <laughs> I mean, I had a hard time getting through school. Um, like I always had like good grades or whatever, but like getting into the actual programs I wanted to get into in university. I remember applying to the same sort of like design program three times and never getting in and like trying to apply to this other art program and not getting in and then having to like, I don't know, I've just having to apply tons of times and failing a lot of times. And and then like I was saying in grad school, I had a hard time and halfway through like the faculty wanted to hold me back a semester. Why? Which, because they didn't, I 
think they didn't feel I was confident enough or that I kind of knew where I was going, which the confidence part was absolutely true, but I did know where I was going. I just was like not confident enough to express it properly. Um, and also I remember like, I was really afraid of crying in my art critiques. So because I it just, the whole thing made me so emotional. I put like so much pressure on myself to do well in school. And so I didn't want to cry in my art critiques because I didn't want to seem like a baby. And so, but you know, when you're on the verge of tears, um, it's better not to talk because if you talk, like it's going to come out. So a lot of times I would just like not say anything and just kind of nod my head. I'm like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I think they read that as like me. Yeah. Not being confident or not really understanding what I was doing. And so when they told me they wanted to hold me back, I had like a humongous breakdown with the co-chairs of the program and like cried in front of them for about an hour like bawling sniffling embarrassing like crying and yeah it was a really a real breakthrough moment for me because I realized if I had just let myself cry like throughout the semester I probably would have expressed myself better and in the end like I managed to convince them that like no I can do this just like let me go into my final semester I'm ready which was so scary because I'm like if I fail like they told me so you know could they but, can you fail in grad school I never knew that they can like hold you back or that I think it's kind of sweet in a way that they're like we want you to be confident when you leave us yeah I mean it was definitely out of good intentions and and I don't think that they wanted to fail me I don't think that they would have failed me but of course like when you're in your head at that point like anything's possible when you have anxiety and think you're going to fail throughout art school um yeah I was all out of concern I know but uh, at the same time it was like that whole meltdown made me realize like okay you need to like stick up for yourself and even if you're not feeling confident you have to just like you know take every ounce of energy that you have in you and like keep moving forward and and you have to cry when you're feeling sad and not like hold it back in because that's when you get yourself in that's how I got myself in trouble so it was a huge lesson for me of like giving my emotions enough space and not like trying to be this like stoic strong person you know or like quote-unquote masculine attributes you know to just like I'm an emotional person I cry really easily I cry when I watch tv every time like any like family drama I will be bawling the whole way through um and that's totally fine and so yeah and in the end like I I graduated and like the very co-chair that I had cried in front of when he saw my final piece he was like you were right you were ready to graduate so that was really a really gratifying moment and um yeah and like crying didn't like ruin like it wasn't the end of the world it was actually really good so so do they when you get critiques they want you to cry or I don't, I don't think they want you to cry I think they oh, just okay. want you to I think they just want you to like explain what you're doing and okay. like, have reasons to do what you're doing and to like understand like why you're making these choices and 
I was just so afraid and I so didn't want to cry and I was so nervous and I put so much pressure on myself to be perfect that mm. I wasn't giving myself room to, I wasn't like just letting myself feel what I was feeling in those moments of critiques, which are hard because, you know, you worked all this time on this work and people are picking it apart. And I think it's okay to be upset by that. But no, I don't think they necessarily wanted me to like cry the whole way, but like, for me personally, if I had just let myself cry a little bit, I think it would have been better than just me being quiet and nodding my head and not like not fighting for my work, I guess, or fighting for myself, you know? Why did you feel like you shouldn't cry or shouldn't show emotion? Because like we don't live in a world that where emotion is valued you know I was I've always been in my family like the emotional one Me too. a lot of people in my family I would say most of my family are very like either they're they will like make jokes to um convey how they're feeling without actually conveying it or they just ignore emotion altogether and I can't do that like I just can't I can't like if I'm feeling something I have to let it out or else I feel horrible. So, you know, being always kind of dismissed as like the emotional girl, like, oh, there she goes again. It, it weighs down on you and it makes you kind of feel bad about, about feeling emotions. And I think that's why now so much of my work is about kind of validating emotions and saying that emotions are important and yeah, just valuing that. It sounds like we have similar families. Like, <laughs> even when I was little, I remember, and I explained my family as good intention, bad execution people, mm. because they wanted not, me not to be weak. Like, they wanted me to be able to stick up for myself. But by doing that, I felt bullied. Like, stop crying, or like, just fix it. Or like, there's no reason to be sad about that. Or other people have it worse. Or like, things that make you just feel like crap for feeling. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know that feeling was okay until I was like in my twenties. Like, yeah. and that's sad. Like, I don't want anyone else to feel that way. So that's pretty much why I do what I do too. Yeah. I mean, it causes a lot of like inner hate of like how you naturally react to things. And the, the ironic part is, is that like being able to express a feeling is, takes so much more strength than repressing it. Mm hmm I agree like it's very difficult to just like like go through the grow, go through emotions and acknowledge them and verbalize them or express them is really hard so to say that like not having emotions or just like sucking it up is strong is strength I mean that's a mis that's like the biggest misconception of our society that's like why wars are started because people like don't communicate. I mean, I'm oversimplifying, but you know what I mean? Like, no, but like it's that's true. Like we are the strong ones. There's just a misconception of the universe that we aren't yes. like, we're the superheroes. Like, exactly. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> we are the superheroes. <laughs> For your anxiety now, like when I first started um, drawing, it was to help me with my anxiety and depression. So are there certain things that you do for self-care to help you through when you're having an anxious time? Yeah. So, I mean, talking about it with my partner is usually a huge help because he also has a lot of anxiety, so he totally gets it. So we'll 
will like try to talk about it each other, which is also hard because there's a fine line between like talking about it to each other and dumping it on somebody else. So that's something we've really had to sort of figure out how to balance. Um, but talking about it always does help because often like the anxieties in your head are really ridiculous. Like they're about things that won't happen. Um, so just like saying it out loud, sometimes you realize that because when it's like stuck spinning in your head, like, I don't know, it seems like a valid thing to worry about, but usually isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I have like, I know this isn't not something that is accessible to everyone, but like therapy also helps. I did therapy for a little while, but I mean, also as a self-employed person that doesn't make a huge amount of money, that that's difficult too. To, so I tend to keep therapy for when I'm really kind of going through a tough time. Um, and then also like things like you were saying, like I know that if I go to bed early and wake up early, I'll feel better than if I stay up really late and get up late for some reason and and yeah like leaving the house when I'm in that spiral just like going for a walk or going out to do something or you know I work mostly in a studio outside of my house but I do a lot of work from home too and sometimes just like that like going to the studio is better and and yeah and like eating better like not like I am a stress eater so when I'm very anxious I will eat a lot of very salty fatty foods which I think there is a time and place for salty fatty foods I would never give it up but to not there's like a limit and sometimes like just eating something healthy really is better for your body and and it affects your mental health I think a lot um and again, and not from like a dieting or like, I feel like a lot of self-care stuff that you see online, it's all about like weight loss and dieting. Mm-hmm. And no, like I agree. I hate health, that. Healthy, clean living and whatever. I, I have I, I, nothing that I do like has to do with that. It's, but I do think that like sometimes like eating like some fruit as opposed to a huge, a whole bag of chips will make you feel different. <laughs> like, so yeah, I think like little things like that. Um, just nice doing nice things for myself like that or sometimes it's just like being like okay I'm gonna watch Netflix for four hours and that sometimes just feels really good I watch too much television but for a long time I've worked for myself for a long time and they become my coworkers. Mm-hmm. so like they're who I go to when I'm sad or like I don't know if there's something comforting that having people that you see all the time, like next to you, especially when you work by yourself all the time. Like, <laughs> that's why it's so devastating when you're watching a series and then it ends or yes. you reach the end and you're like, but all my friends. Are, I know. They? I know yeah, that's the saddest thing ever. And then you have to like compensate by finding new friends. And that's yeah. just as hard on Netflix as it is in real life. It is. Cause it takes a while before like you get into a new show and like, you know, and you really get to know the characters and know if you like them. Oh, it is. <laughs> so what are your top three favorite shows? Like ones that you can go to over and over? Um, probably most watched is Gilmore Girls. I've Yay! watched like every episode. Like I had all the DVDs and now it's on Netflix. So I've watched it. Like it's like that one when I'm feeling stressed and just need to put something on. 
in the background while I'm doing something else because I've seen them all so many times I know what happens but I like having like exactly you like you that's how I try to explain it to everybody is like you have to watch something you've seen before because you don't want to be too captivated but you still want to feel like you're together like (laughs) yeah yeah because that's a mistake I'll make sometimes I'll be like oh I'm just work on this and put Netflix in the background and then I realize if it's something I haven't seen then I've just spent I haven't done any of my work and I'm just like watching exactly there's but, a fine yeah. line. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Gilmore Girls is one. Yeah, one Gilmore else. Girls. Um, also, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is another one that I've watched many times. And that um, I'm trying to think what I've most recently watched. Oh, it's hard. I have to think. I, I always, when I people ask me my like three favorite things, the third one is hard because it's like, forgetting oh Jane the Virgin I I okay I started watching that for a while and I totally forgot that I stopped watching it that's a good one <laughs> so good and it just gets better and better does it like the first season I was like I don't know if I'm into this show but then when you really get to know the characters oh my god it's so good okay so there's a show I'm trying to think of what I can't remember but there's a show called Being Erica have you heard of that it's Canadian yeah, I've heard but of I it. But I think you might find it. I want I want you to like test watch it. Okay. See okay. what you think about it because it's such a weird show and I found it when it was already like done and then mm-hmm. I think I randomly had a season. I don't know. That one is good and then there's one called Drop Dead Diva which is also kind of weird. Mm. Like a gr- two people like a very self-absorbed valley girl and like a mm-hmm. uh, I don't like categorizing, but like an unhappy, overweight lawyer, like Mm -hmm. unhappy with her body and her confidence. Like they both die at the same time, but like the, the Valley girl goes to heaven and presses this button and she ends up going back into the other girl's body. And like, now she's like living out her life. Mm. I don't know. I don't know if I'm explaining it right, but it's really weird and fascinating. Like, And they're both already done. So, like, it's going to be sad when you get to the end because there's no more. But they're both quirky and interesting. I'll check them out for sure. Yay. (laughs) And then also, not that this is, like, give you suggestions, but have you listened to the Gilmore Guys podcast? Yes, I have. Okay. I just want to make sure. Because that's gone, too. But. Yeah. (laughs) But it's interesting. And then an extra Gilmore Girls. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, my last question is, how do you think all of your experiences have made you who you are today? And do you think they've um, impacted your choices or how you treat people? Yeah, I mean, all my experiences. I think like, you know, like work experiences, like I was saying before, like working in really misogynistic environments and also like in my family, like my dad has very traditional kind of patriarchal ideas of gender roles and how people should be. So like all of those kind of things kind of impacted my interest in feminism and sort of my my like which kind of influences my work and and just like you know so like experience in school experience being in fashion and then just like being on social media and you know so much of the unexpected of social media like people writing to me and like meeting like I met so much of my art community online um, just through social media and like all of these people that I've met and become friends with um, 
you know, have definitely inspired me and affected like the way I think. And I've learned so much from people online. Like my idea of feminism before I started grad school and of feminism now is just like completely different and a lot more complicated. And yeah, and you know, it's like that whole saying, like the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know anything. So <laughs> I think the older I get, the more I realize, like, I don't know everything and that's fine. And, and yeah, and all of these things have sort of contributed to my interest in this idea of ambivalence and exploring like our conflicting feelings and not trying to be this one thing. Like for me, like not trying to be this like one perfect feminist or not trying to be this one like feminine girl in the world. Um, and kind of embracing the fact that I'm, I love girly things, but I'm more of a tomboy in how I express my gender. Like, yeah, just kind of, I guess I'm just really interested in how complicated our identities are. And that's from like being exposed to more different kind of identities online. And yeah, I don't know if I answered your question properly. No, I think it's great. <laughs> so that leads into what did you, when you started this whole journey, you're, you're anonymous online. So mm -hmm. when you started, was that like a conscious decision or the more you kind of got into it, you're like, this fits, like if it fits with like the identity, like you're just talking about identity and that's what made me think of the question, but. Yeah, I mean, the anonymous thing, it's such a strange thing now, but because, you know, like I said, like I didn't think it was gonna be, I didn't think it was gonna be my career, this ambivalently yours thing when I started and I just wanted to kind of write and make drawings about my life. And at this time, you know, I was still working in fashion part-time while I was going to school. And I wanted to kind of be critical of these worlds, but I felt kind of scared about like, what if my bosses find out? And, and I realized that this fear was holding me back. You know, this fear was making me censor myself. So I'm like, you know what, what if I just do this anonymous thing online? And that way I can write whatever I want. I don't have to worry about it so much. And unbeknownst to me that like years later it'd be my career and that it'd be kind of strange that it's anonymous because people you know when people want to interview me and want to know who I am and I want to ask questions and I don't know like but at the same time when you see how volatile the internet is especially to women um, who are just like feminism adjacent not even women that are like I mean I mean I think to all women the internet is really volatile and by kind of keeping it anonymous, it allows this work to be kind of a project that I can step out of sometimes when I need to. And it can be something that's not necessarily just about, it's hard to explain, but like, <laughs> cause you know, I talk a lot about my personal feelings, but I don't put every single detail in there. But the feelings that I express are like very, very personal and very real and so and I think in art especially if you're doing art that's self-referential it's important to leave yourself a little bit of room to keep yourself safe to not like overexpose yourself to not put yourself in a place where you're like so vulnerable that the art becomes like um, detrimental to your mental health so this anonymous thing kind of like allows me a little bit of space from what I'm doing. And it's not to say that it will be this way forever. And, you know, 
it's just for now, it's still kind of, I'm just going with it as it is and we'll see how it goes. And yeah, I have mixed feelings obviously about it and about everything. So, <laughs> so do when people meet you, when people go to like your installations, do you pretend you're somebody else? No, that's okay. the thing too. Like, cause I do workshops too. And the, there comes a point like where it becomes very gimmicky. Like I'm not going to wear a mask or something when I'm doing a workshop. So people don't know who I am. Like, cause that like really cuts down this opportunity to relate to each other because my, the workshops I do, like I ask people to talk about their feelings and open up. And if I'm not willing to do that too, then it really makes it, it, it makes the, like, there's like a, a the, um, the balance of, power in the room kind of shifts and I don't want it to be like artist participants like I want it to be all together and and to be more intimate and to not be like this weird gimmick thing so do you let people take photos with you then or how do you how do you like keep the anonymous and ask people not to take photos basically I just ask people not to put my photo online and yeah to just kind of focus more on the work and I've done stuff like done public things at galleries and then they've just like covered my face in the photos and it's just becomes this kind of funny way of like how can we and most of the time people are like they're fine with it and or sometimes it just they think it's weird they don't get it and either way I'm fine it's you know (laughs) (laughs) well one day when you're super famous you can have like a coming out party you're like this is who I am yeah sometimes I think about that I'm like what would be the thing that I would be I don't know but it it would be so anticlimactic I know well maybe not it's not like a thing like it's not like there's like something like some big like reveal and often like people if I have an opening and I'm there people will like know that it's me because I think like like I have pink hair so that's probably a huge giveaway (laughs) or like maybe like I think artists tend to like their drawings tend to kind of look like them all the time Mm -hmm. like a little bit like there's like always a quality they're like oh yeah that drawing with that person and so yeah I don't think it would be like a huge reveal if I like came out and I don't think it really even matters like it doesn't it's not like it doesn't really matter so much to me but I don't know it's it, it's what it is at this point. We'll see where it goes. I don't have like a, yeah. So we would tell people where they can find you online now. Like I know you're big on Instagram and you mentioned Tumblr, but where else can people find you? Uh, yeah. So I have a website where you can kind of see like every, all the millions of things that I do. It's ambivalentlyyours.com and yeah at ambivalent yours on Instagram and Facebook and at ambivalently you on Twitter because ambivalently yours is too many letters. <laughs> and, and I also, I have my podcast called rebelliously tiny that's on Apple podcasts and Stitcher and Google play. And I recommend everyone listening to it while they work with water samples. That's just yes. what they should do. <laughs> it sounds like a good combination of things to do. <laughs> Well, yay. I super appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and I'm so excited. (laughs) Yeah, this has been really nice chatting to you. Thank you so much for, you know, your interest in my work and yeah, thank you. It's been nice to me. I feel like we've been following each other for a long time. So it's nice to like really actually chat. And it's cool because you are, everyone I've had on the podcast, I've known for years and I followed you for years, but I wouldn't necessarily, we're not I mean, we're friendly, but we don't know each other. So Mm -hmm. 
you're my first like stranger guest. Like, <laughs> and I was like, and it's been a while since I interview people. So my husband's like, maybe you should practice before you talk to a stranger. <laughs> <laughs> you did a great job. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. If you liked the episode, please subscribe or even better, leave a review. It makes iTunes really happy and hopefully makes them share this podcast with other people, which would make me really happy. If you have any ideas for topics to cover or for people you'd like me to interview, please email me. My email address is in the show notes. And thank you again. Have a great day.